Thank you. Well, good morning. I hear I heard that you were nice to Cindy last week. She is uh, she's a great teacher. She just never does, gets a chance very often to to teach. Uh, so it was perfect that she would uh, get a chance to to uh, cover the class. And you have no idea how long she studied getting ready for last week's class. Um, let's see. Other than that, I will tell you that uh, sitting on a lake up above uh, Hot Springs in Arkansas is a great place to listen to conference. It's amazing these days with, uh, with little Wi-Fi and, and the help of your uh, cell phone, you can just kind of sit almost anywhere and listen to conference. And so we spent, we spent this weekend up way up in the Ozarks and uh, just enjoyed the heck out of it. So. Um, all right. Well, let's see. I'm going to throw this in here. I just thought that was good. In case you've ever wondered what happened to the dinosaurs. Uh, Apparently they had some kind of uh, gun on the the ark and they shot it down. So (laughs) I thought that was good. And the unicorn was there too, yeah. Watching them go on. Yeah, I was like, what happened? <laughs> and actually, that's not going to be far off what we're going to be talk, some of what we're going to be talking about today. All right. Traditionally, what we like to do the the Monday morning after uh, general conference is talk about uh, take just a few minutes and talk about what did you hear, what jumped out at you, uh, and yeah. You know, Mark and I, as we listened to the talks, we were waiting for the talks to come out that would address, of course, the issue that sisters have sons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we pictured the, the 12 huddling together and big huddles and who, no. <laughs> who, who gets to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was fantastic. So well done. Yeah, uh, they, they did. That, that's, you did have uh, uh, some uh, sisters on, on Saturday evening trying to. You, you know, it is funny if they wanted to listen to priesthood session, that they could have gone, just turned it off. You know, if they really want to make more of a statement, they can go to a stake center. But there's more press available if you're if you're there in the, on, on the tabernacle grounds trying to get in. Yeah. I enjoyed the priesthood choir. Oh, I had two grandsons in the in the priesthood choir. Yeah, those guys were good. They, they were good. Yeah. Well, the family choir was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, and we got at least two or three of those. Yes, yes. So we're aware just because the government says it's, it's moral doesn't make it. Yeah. Yeah, President Oaks kind of has that ability to kind of lay it on there and say, here's where it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it was this kind of, we love you, and there's room here, but it was also like, this is who we are, but, you know, coming yeah. back to place. 
know. You, you really got that from President Lukdorf, didn't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I loved was the talk on depression. Mm-hmm. I remember when he first started the talk, I just thought, it's a bad time. And not in like a bad way. <laughs> not in a bad way, but like, why haven't we been talking about this? Why haven't we been talking about this in the church? Because this is an issue that affects so many people. And I just thought, oh, yay. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, it was really kind of So how do you best respond when mental or emotional challenges confront you or those you love? Above all, never lose faith in your Father in Heaven, who loves you more than you can comprehend. As President Monson said to the Relief Society sisters so movingly last Saturday evening at this pulpit, that love never changes. It is there for you when you are sad or happy, discouraged or hopeful. God's love is there for you whether or not you deserve it. It is simply always there. Never ever doubt that. And never harden your heart. Faithfully pursue the time-tested devotional practices that bring the Spirit of the Lord into your life. Seek the counsel of those who hold keys for your spiritual well-being. Ask for and cherish priesthood blessings. Take the sacrament every week and hold fast to the perfecting promises of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Believe in miracles. I have seen so many. They came when every indication would say that hope was lost. Hope is never lost. If those miracles do not come soon or fully or seemingly at all, Remember the Savior's own anguished example. If the bitter cup does not pass, drink it and be strong, trusting in happier days ahead. This was, this was fun to listen to his talk because I had prior to Education Week, uh, I'd done a lot of study about uh, President George Albert Smith, who had spent uh, three or four years completely debilitated by depression. Uh, unable to function as an apostle and deeply in despair that he couldn't function as an apostle. Like, like, we, like we mentioned here, the day that it finally turned around is when he told his wife that it would be alright if he passed. And, would, and would they, could, could they pray together that he might be taken from the earth so that somebody else could take over as apostle. And from that day he began to get better. It's like he started to quit fighting it quite so much and allowed himself to get well. So, Yeah. The quote I love from that is, one day the dawn will break brightly. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Well, and, and he disclosed, didn't he? We don't know how long uh, Elder Hall was depressed, but he said there was a time in his life when he felt it. Uh, I understand that. I had about a month of that at one point in my life. And, and you just, and it marks you to where you go. This is, And then for, it to, for those of you who struggle with it, and it goes on year after year, I'm just... Completely with you. So, yeah, Elder Holland gave the talk I've been waiting for for a long time. Okay, yeah. Well, when I I heard that talk, I thought back, Ben and Matthew, that you unexpectedly, um, I was into depression, anger, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Right. And the more I thought about it, it took a long time to feel about a year. But thinking about it now, as I gradually began to get reality, I can't go to the left. Right. Um, I lied. 
will be done. Get over it. And Moses is a great example. And I love, I, I really like Moses. You know, he said, why me? I'm supposed to teach. Yeah. And uh, oh, not empty. I'm, I'm not supposed to teach. You know, but I can do it. You can do it. In fact, in fact, we're going to take some of that again. This is going to be a nice segue into uh, what we're going to talk about today with Abraham. Okay, what else got to you? We have a missionary challenge. Oh, yeah. One between now and Christmas. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, they're ramping up. We've got 8,000 missionaries now. And you heard the new number for how many uh, saints we have 15 mil. Yeah, up we go. Okay. Yeah. This, this is kind of a little bit different thing, but uh, I'm so old fashioned, I still take the regular newspaper. Yeah. And there was another really? Like it shows up on your doorstep? And I was very surprised to see an article about our conference in the Dallas Morning News, several inches long. But the point of the article was the leadership of the LDS Church admits they made mistakes. That was the focus of the article, and I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all these wonderful messages. That's when they got. You, you, what, what's remarkable about that was remarkable on two levels. What, one, the fact that uh, President Uchtdorf, in talking about those that have wandered, says we have made mistakes as a church, and and, and organizationally we have made mistakes. Sure. Um, and he talks about how it's the humanness and all that. It's interesting from an, another standpoint that the press really picked up on the fact that as if we have never admitted mistakes. Now, maybe the mistake that we have made is never really admitting that we've made mistakes. Maybe that's part of the the problem here. But you're right. They had taken all of that talk, President Ugdorf's wonderful talk about if you're out there and you have a difference of opinion, fine, come on in. We want you under the tent and all that kind of stuff. And what they heard was they're they're admitting they made mistakes. Yeah. I I think it just points out you you can find what you're looking for. And I mean, that... Yeah. The fact that they were saying we made mistakes, maybe because I, I've always known that people are people and mistakes are made. But that just went over my head until I saw that article and I thought, of all the things there were, all the wonderful things to focus on, that's well, what they the, the wonderful Salt Lake Tribune, uh, remember not long after the Tribune, one of their first headlines in the Salt Lake Tribune was, Brigham Young dead, finally. <laughs> Uh, the, the, Tribune's, the Tribune's headline was Mormon leaders say no to same-sex marriage. They boiled all the way down. That was the big message that they got. Yeah. I think the morning news is a little biased. When I went to April, after the April conference, the whole post was about women and the prayers. So. Yeah, yeah. Shocking. And we just kind of roll along. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to me. It's interesting to hear the message, different messages that people have that are for them. Because I mean, I went to conference and I feel like, oh, every talk, this is for me, this is for me. But obviously everyone else got different. The everybody else got your talk? And like my husband, who's the elders quorum president, he felt like so many of the talks were about home teaching. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like all the talks were about keeping your covenants and, and preparing yourself to overcome challenges, which is more like for what I'm dealing with in sure, my life right now. Sure. So, I just think it's so amazing that all these talks are the same thing, and this is kind of like the scriptures. This is all the same thing, and yet 
Every one of us has an individual message there that's for us personally. Isn't that true? Uh, I don't know if you heard that. She said that everybody gets different messages out of conference. And in, in essence, that's a little bit like when we're studying the scriptures. Is that everybody can read the same scripture, but you see it through the prism of your experience. And based on that, you draw from that exactly what it is that you need. Uh, but the beautiful thing about general conferences, here comes all these talks, and you get over and over your chance to hear what you need, particularly for you. Yeah. Um, overall feeling that I got kind of started with, you know, Israel, Israel, God is calling. Yeah. And it just feels like um, we're saying to the world, you know, come and gather. This is, this is the morning time, the gathering time, because we're preparing for the Savior's return to the earth. We just felt like that was the you know, progression of that time. I think it was. I think it was. President? I was impressed with the number of non-U.S. speakers. You really get kind of that flavor. We're, we're out there now. Yeah. And, and you would think we probably ought to be having a little more of those. <laughs> Fran. As we go into these other nations where women have so little respect for everything, I thought they did a lot of good talks on the worth of women. Great point. You know, that's really a good point because what we're talking about, okay, here comes this deal that, you know, these sisters are like outside and they're saying, you know, let us in because we really kind of want to be equal. Think about how many countries that they are where they wouldn't even have that ability to, to stand there, uh, let alone drive over there to actually show up at the conference. Great point. Yeah. I like the statement that. This dispensation, things that are happening, are as important as the restoration of the church. Yeah, I heard that one too. That this dispensation is important, right, to what's going on here, as, as was the restoration. Yeah. We had Brother Bainan from our ward stop over to pick up missionaries last night to take them to dinner, to their house to dinner, and he was in the chapel when the in South Africa when the brother that was talked about was he remembers him sitting outside. And he was in that chapel. Ah, uh, yeah, just touch his heart. Great point. Okay, yeah. It's kind of fun to see them get to that point where the, they catch the spark of all of that. And, uh, and, th and there was enough there that I think would have reached out to, to teens especially. So, yeah. We had Sister Johnston and our board take their family up uh, to the conference. And on the, on the way out of conference, they, uh, they had the protesters. Yeah. Because you can feel it. Yeah, it's always kind of an interesting thing. I remember for years and years going to conference and you'd always had protesters of one type or another standing out there. Um, and it, 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 you walk out and it's just it hits you. You can just feel the difference between that. So, great weekend. And that's and that good stuff. We get, uh, we get a little kind of charge. I had somebody on Facebook 
that, is, that is not a member, she, uh, she messaged me and she said, what is this conference thing? And I said, well, it's part of what our church does and twice a year. And I gave her a little bit of information. And then she was back to, now is this like, can anybody see this or is it a secret? <laughs> and I said, it's at LDS.org. You can listen to the talk. And she just, so great. So, so she was planning on doing that. So I'm working on it. Yes, I am. Okay, that said, um, I wanted I wanted to just remind ourselves as we kind of move forward through here with, with the Bible because this is going to become more and more of an issue. Um, let's remind ourselves real quickly. How did we get the content of the Book of Mormon? Okay, it's before it was translated. What is it that he's translated? When Joseph Smith was looking at those plates, how did that information get to the plates? They were abridged from what? From all the plates. And what was on the plates? From who? From the prophets. Okay, so, so let, let's keep in mind. So what would happen is if, if you're a prophet, whether you're Alma or Helaman or whatever, you'd have your experiences and you journal and you write them down. Okay, so there they are on plates. Then at some point, then you're going to have the the uh, biographer or the abridger in in the Book of Mormon's case, it was Mormon, who then has to sit down with all these plates and say, I need to put these together into a concise record that can get this to somebody who can use the Urban Thumb and translate. But that means that think about the task that was before Mormon. I have to take thousand years of history. I've got to look at everything that everybody wrote and then I've got to pick and choose which stories to write and which ones to leave out. When to include their quotes and when to just say this and this happened in my voice. That's what, a, that's what the abridger's job was. So it's really we're seeing, we're seeing the history of uh, the Nephites through Mormon's eyes about what he saw was important. That's why when you watch what stories he puts together, they're there to teach a, a lesson. And I've mentioned before, that's why in the Book of Mormon you get a story on uh, a good king, and then you get a story of a wicked king. And then you get a story of, we should set up judges because king can lead you wrong. That's the, that's the story of Mosiah through Alma. And that was, that was Mormon's intent. We're seeing the Book of Mormon through the autobiographer's eyes. Does that make sense? Okay. That's how we got the Book of Mormon. Now. Yes. Thank you for checking. How did we get the content of the Old Testament? The first five books were composed by Moses. Okay. Do we have it all word for word from what Moses said? No. How did we get the content of the Old Testament? Yeah. Okay, now, th this is real similar in the fact that Adam would write, Abraham would write, Enoch would write, 
Moses would write, Abraham would write, they all wrote. Now at some point, uh, Moses began to put all of that stuff together. Did he do it by himself? Don't know. We don't have a lot of information exactly how he compiled all of this, but he did. But we have the same thing in place, and that is sometimes quotes, sometimes put it together, but it was put together in some cases kind of like the Book of Mormon was. Some stories left in, some stories left out. Now, the difference, though, between the Bible and the Book of Mormon is now we have the passage of time and, the, and whoever was holding the records then saying, uh, I don't know if I necessarily believe that and pulling stuff out. Hence the Apocrypha. So, so we get all of these records like the book of Jasher uh, and several books of Enoch that are out there that are additional stories and you have to look at those. It's like, are those true or are those not? Was that, you know, sometimes, uh, like we just got the book of Judas Iscariot. Now, carbon dating on this thing tells us it was probably written about 600 A.D. Okay, so this is a hodgepodge. Now, when it comes to the Old Testament, we also get the, uh, the uh, Joseph Smith's translation that's going to bring additional light. We get modern revelation that's going to bring us additional light. But there's still going to be areas of this Old Testament that you have to take a look at it and go, I'm not sure. Let me give you, and one of them we're going to talk about today, and I'll just go ahead and mention it now. This, this is Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the crowd shows up. We'll talk about more about this crowd in a second, but they're gathered outside the door, and, and uh, Genesis says that Lot says, well, don't get the angels. Here, take my daughters instead. Okay? Well, the inspired version says that Lot said, don't take my daughters. Completely opposite of what is in the Bible. So part, of, so part of what we're looking at today, we're looking through that prism of how much is there, how much was added, how much was taken away, and we have to then use our, our spiritual compass to be able to pull back and see what the real story is. Does, does that make sense? The Bible was composed by men, not women. And it was composed by men, not women. Yeah, so you're just going to come from their standpoint, they're going to they're talk about other guys as opposed to leave. Yes. It's going to be inspired version. Do you think the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac would be different if we had the book of Sarah? <laughs> Whole different story there. Okay. Now. The Bible's always just been so much harder. It is. And now you know this is what. And his daughter. And I'm like getting him drunk. And I mean, sleeping. I know. I know. That's why we're. to stay out of it. And the problem with that, of course, is that in our cringing part, we stay out of it and we're missing the beauty of the stuff that's... Well, tell us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in, in try, in, I was trying to tell Cindy last week as she was getting ready for, to, to teach. I said, one of, the, one of the fun things for me about this class is I feel like I get to be the tour guide. You know, as we're kind of saving through the Old Testament going, ooh, 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 look at this, look at this. And you don't know, but here's this over here, okay? And, but, I, but it's me going, this is kind of cool, and so I'm kind of doing the Mormon abridgment thing. Anyway, okay, th that said, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to start with this if I could. Um, let me give you just a brief history. Uh, 
How many of you don't know who Hugh Nibley was? Okay. How many of you feel like you know very little about Hugh Nibley? Okay. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Nibley, one of the great all-time scholars that the, that the church has ever produced. Great. And, and this was the man that, uh, after he had one doctorate, uh, he went and he got another doctorate in, in Egyptology and couldn't find anybody to sit on his board at the University of Chicago because they were afraid that he'd ask them questions. <laughs> uh, towards the end of his life, uh, there were some wonderful biographers at BYU that did a, a DVD of him called The Faith of an Observer. The problem, and so they took him to Egypt and tracked and followed him. So at one point in this video, you have, you have Dear Hugh running around through the ruins of an Egyptian temple going, and then this is this, and then this is this, and then, oh, the next one should be like the next room. He's jumping over in the next room. Oh, there it is! You know, and it's just like he's just going crazy. But they didn't feel like they had a lot of good stuff from him that they could put on tape so that people got a sense of who Hugh Nibley was. Well, they have him sitting that... Uh, what I read was is that they finally got the moment that they had been always hoping for from Hugh Nibley. He was sitting outside the uh, pyramids in Giza, and um, they just had him candidly talking about some stuff. And all at once he goes off, you know, and just starts talking. And they were so grateful they had the camera because this was vintage Hugh Nibley. Uh, and gave you a sense, and who's he talking about? Abraham. So it's a little, it's not great quality video. I hope you can hear it well, but I want you to, I want you to get a sense of Hugh Nibley and a sense of Abraham. Okay? Yeah, that's the yeah. 
Brother Nebley is talking about the fact that he's going to quote from the, the, from the Mishnah. The Mishnah, uh, and I've mentioned it before, the, part of the, the idea of the Old Testament is that we're trying to get all the sources together about what happened with these events. Uh, the Mishnah is a, it's a it's sort of the verbal history of the Jews. And it's very ancient. And then finally they wrote it down in rabbinical times after the time of Christ. But it's like all of these legends and stories and, and things like that. Okay? So he's going to quote a story from the Mishnah that's not in the Bible. And he said, what happens is, is that on a very hot, dusty day, uh, that Abraham becomes worried that it's, that it's a very hot, and there might be somebody out there lost in the desert. And he said he sends his faithful servant Eleazar out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and Eleazar comes back and says, I can't find anybody. And Abraham is still worried that there's, a, there's somebody out there in this heat that might be dying. And, he, and at a hundred, he goes wandering out there to try and find him, and he still can't find him. And then he says, then he comes back and he sees the Lord and two servants standing at his temple, or his tent door, and he says that's when they promise him Isaac. Now, that's a little different than the story we get. But I think it has some truth to it. Um, But but that's why Abraham, and he says it earlier, Abraham stands as a colossus in history. We have more written about him in more ancient texts. Abraham just jumps out. He leaps off the page, and there's so much. Now, you start sorting through and say, how much is legend and how much is truth? Well, you start pulling all that together, you begin to get a sense of what an incredible person Abraham was and why it is the Lord chose him to be this pivotal servant that we receive the blessings of Abraham down to today. We hope for the blessings of Abraham. Okay. Now, to try and get that sense then, let's come back, let's come to this story. So let's turn to Genesis 18. Now, Part of why this might be just a little confusing is that this is written in such a way so we don't know whether there's two servants or three servants. Or a Lord and two servants or a Lord and three servants. Or three servants and he's talking to the Lord at the same time. Don't know. Don't really care. (laughs) Because it's important to know that through these servants he is talking with and working with uh, the Lord about what's about to occur. Now, the Joseph Smith's inspired version suggested to us that there were three, and they weren't necessarily angels, they were more inspired men. And that, that certainly makes sense that they're going to come, he's going to feed them, he's going to take care of them. Okay? Now, he's going to look up at them, he's going to see that they're that they are at his at his temple or his tent door. Um, uh, let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched. Wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree. I'll fetch you a morsel of bread. Comfort your heart. 
And then he, he hastens and asks Sarah, quickly make, make some, a meal. Uh, he's going to take good care of these people. And in the middle of all of that, we get uh, verse 9. And, and these inspired priesthood holders said unto him, Where's Sarah thy wife? Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. We are going to come back. Uh, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Sarah heard it, which was behind. And they were old. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Yes, she's in her 90s. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, and then she says, Am I waxed old that I'll have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Okay, now she will have Isaac, and his name means laughter. Yeah, that's great. Um, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, I'll have a shorty. And then comes this little, little nugget. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, the Mishnah, the Hebrew Mishnah, has an interesting little story. And that is, it says, from this moment on, uh, they have found the fountain of youth. And that within a year, uh, gray hair had turned back to black. They were standing taller, wrinkles were gone. They were suddenly youthful. And everybody around them was saying, what happened to you? And they said, well, the Lord promised this, and we're going to have kids. you got to understand the period of time where it wasn't the best of education to most of them. And the Jewish people tend to stretch out those stories. It was probably a Catholic spouting that they would carry out. Yeah, could be. Don't know. All right. Uh, now, yeah. It does say, though, that uh, in verse 10, he says, I will certainly return unto thee. Yeah. Yeah, and hold on, I'm going to come back to that idea that they come back. Because we're about to see, Isaac is going to be a, a parallel in the scripture for the Savior. And you're going to see an incredible amount of, Isaac is a Savior type. And so you're going to watch a miraculous birth and it's going to require an angel returning to make this birth happen. To make the conception happen. Okay. Is right. Ishmael also a type? Yeah, now, yes, Ishmael is a type. Hold on to that one. Because at this point, does he already have a son? Through Hagar the Egyptian, and it's going to be Ishmael. <coughs> Which son is going to mock his brother and then be cast out? Fascinating. Okay. Uh, now, Now, here comes what I think is uh, in, in chapter 18. You might, put, you might call this the negotiating chapter. Because after, after we get this miraculous thing, here come these strangers, and here is Abraham. And then we're going to say, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Um, in my mind, I'm changing this out, and I'm saying, I think this is the angel saying 
the inspired man. Should we tell, should we tell Abraham what the Lord has commanded us to do? I think it's closer to this. It fits with the narrative better. Shall we tell Abraham what we're about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? Is what is what's about to occur here. Okay. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, the nations of the earth shall be blessed of him. He is, he is so into missionary work and take, taking care of his family. He's not going to like what we're about to say to him. For I, the Lord says, I know him. He will command his children, household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord. <clears throat> but the Lord says... Verse 20, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grievous, uh, you guys will go down and see whether they have done according to the cry of it and is come unto me, and if not, I will know. In other words, there's going to be an assignment here to say, I need you guys to turn and report. I know what's going on in Sodom. We need witnesses about what's going on in Sodom. We're going to send these inspired men down to Sodom to see Lot. And is it really as bad as what we're here. Does that make sense? Okay, so here comes the mission. Okay. Oh, thank you. So, they finally let Abraham know, here's what's about to occur. We're actually going to probably go down and wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the map. Now look at Abraham. Abraham drew near and said, Um, um, wilt thou destroy the righteous and the wicked? You know, in other, in other words, put that in different words. What's he saying? There might be a good guy there. There might be some good people there. And for the sake of the good people, would you really, could you spare the wicked? Why? He's concerned about Lot. And what else is he concerned about? The rest of the, well, the rest of people. What's he concerned about? If there are righteous people in Sodom, then what? Why? For Abraham's wish. Why would Abraham want Sodom and Gomorrah to still stay as wicked as they are? What's he after? Lot, I, I want. I have family there. I'm worried about them. There. Does that make sense? This is Abraham, the consummate missionary. If there are righteous in the city, there is a chance. There is a chance that we might be able to teach the gospel to some of them. There, are, there might still be souls to save in Sodom and Gomorrah as wicked as they are. Yeah. Give him 365 years and he translates his city. And Melchizedek took the city of Salem, we're we'll talking about Salem in a second, and he was able to translate his city as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are righteous people in Sodom, there's a chance. It might be a very small chance, and it might only be one soul that we can save, but we can get that person. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm thinking of Jonah. Yes. And you don't know. Toast it. 
Lord, you don't get it. This is a really wicked city. And then I'm going to go sulk when you won't destroy the city. Yeah, I know. Okay. So, so, so I, I love I love Abraham's approach here, and I and I have a hard here's where I have a hard time believing taking this exactly word for word that this is an exact conversation between the Lord and Abraham because there's some pieces that just doesn't make sense. But listen to the narrative, and then you're getting then let's pull the the principle off of this. Oh, it's already correct. Okay, we're not going to take long. Abraham, far be from me after this manner. Slay the wicked with the righteous. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Uh, you're really sure you want to destroy these people. There might be missionary opportunities. Uh, and the Lord said, okay, tell you what. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I'll spare the city for their sake. Now, I think there's a disclaimer that is not included in the Bible here. If there are 50 people that are righteous, I'll spare the city. But they're not. There's not. So then Abraham says, <clears throat> You're right, there's not. <laughs> um, uh, 27, per adventure, there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. <clears throat> Will thou destroy the city for the lack of five? What if we can get 45? And the Lord says, I'll spare the city if there are 45. But there's not. <laughs> um, um, 30. Let, let, let the Lord be angry. Peradventure there be 30. Uh, I'm looking down at uh, verse 30. I'm jumping ahead. And the Lord says, I will not do it if there are 30 there. But there's not. <laughs> By the way, how many righteous city, how many are righteous in the, Sodom, in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay. So, so we're going to say four, right? Okay. Two of the daughters are going to do a naughty. So they're not that righteous. What about the wife? We're just talking about here. She went back. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay? She went back. How many righteous are in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? One. And can I say, I mean, I was reading this the other day, and even Lot, he didn't really want to leave. No! Like, when the angels came and said, okay, we're going to destroy this. Yes! Now he's like, oh. Oh, I don't know. Could be. Longer. It says, the Lord had mercy on him, and the angel took him by the uh, hand and said, you're coming with us. Get out yes. of here. Yes. Uh, get out of here. And he had to be taken no. out. No! Not only that, the angel said, go in the mountain. And he said, well, can I go to this other city? Because that would be better. Well, then he ends up going to the mountain. I know. Anyway. See, we have to keep in mind. Wicked, but he how, didn't want to leave. How did he end up in Sodom in the first place? Remember, there's a choice. Him and Abraham, there are two plots of land. This is not so good. That is a really nice, it looks like the garden of the Lord, it says. It's lush. It's green. Now, everybody that's been... You know, south of the Dead Sea. I haven't. Anybody been down there? South of the Dead Sea? Okay. It's a desert. At the time, it looked like the Garden of the Lord. It said it was lush, it was green. It was like, it was like if we had taken Las Vegas and we plopped it in the middle of San Diego. <laughs> that would be Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? All right. 
So we're going to go back and forth and back and forth. Uh, verse 31. Okay, I won't destroy it for 20's sake, but there's not. Don't be. Okay, then he says, peradventure, 10 be found there. Look, if we can just find 10, will you spare it? Yeah. But there's not. It's not there. And then look at the end, verse 33. And the Lord went his way, and Abraham returned to his place. There's not like. So I think there's an understanding with the angels as they're now going to go from Abraham's house at Beersheba down to Sodom, that if they could actually find ten people, they may save it. It's not going to take them long to figure out there ain't ten people, right? There's only one. And if we take that one person out of there, now there's none, and fire and brimstone will then descend because the city needs to be destroyed. There's something I'm getting out of this. The Lord is so patient with him. Yeah, he is patient. So that so that's the idea. Get the story. What's the actual story? What's the principle in this whole thing? Whether it came down exactly like this, it's certainly recorded for us again. What's the what's the principle here? God says that we should believe it. Okay, that's one. <coughs> yeah. I mean, they'd already started planning for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but what are you hearing from the Lord on this? It feels like he has the same thoughts. Like, I would, I would love to. I would love to. I would spare them. If there were ten righteous people with enough righteous influence that they might be able to find souls to save in Sodom, I would do that. You start to get a sense, remember, the, the sense we have sometimes of New Testament God, merciful, loving. Old Testament God, vengeful, angry, people dying, lots of blood. And you get this loving God who says, who weeps, who says, if there were ten righteous people, I would spare Sodom. I would love to do that. Well, I think too, I mean, going along that line, when I think of Old Testament, that's what I think of. I think that that's a God I'm afraid of. I'm yeah. Afraid of. but I think that this shows because I mean you turn around a chapter later and Lot's wife is I mean she's gulped like that yeah but I think that that this helps us maybe to understand that there's more to the stories usually than maybe what we're reading right there's intent and maybe the true heart and the true meaning behind the heart and that there's there's a little more mercy than Lot warmer, and I think that's part of what was left out. It could have been that some of the people that kind of took stuff out of here wanted to see an angry, vengeful God that would like scare the crud out of everybody, and so they might have pulled some of the merciful stuff out. Okay, yeah. Well, and to me, I like what I'm seeing in Abraham because I'm with Jonah. Toast him. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you get this God that says, I will do everything I can. Think about how many times he kept pardoning the Israelites in Jerusalem. Just turn. After everything you've done, just turn. I will take you. Just give me, give me a choice. Give me an option to save you. It kind of reminds me of the second Nephi where uh, 
My arms are still stretched out. Now, so, and, and so part of the lesson that I get on this one too is, what is he saying to us? He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. And no matter how wicked you are, just turn. There's that talk. There's a means for every one of his children to return. He knows that. He knows it. And he's saying, and, and if you'll give me just a little bit to work with, I'll pull you back immediately. I don't... I know you've done bad stuff. You're going to cause repentance, and you're going to have. To, there's going to be some pain, but come back. I will get you as quickly as I can. Give me a, the slightest opening, and I will get you. I think knowing Abraham's heart, I think he loved like my wife, and he loved everybody, and the Lord knowing his heart, he knew he'd crush him. This, this is going to crush him because they're wicked, but I still love them, and I still have hope for them. Okay, yeah. Yes. And so for him, those feelings of failure, like maybe I didn't work hard enough, maybe I didn't, you know, I didn't do my job at saving them and bringing them back. And so it's the same message that we heard. Yeah. We heard the leadership come back. We want you. But there's hope. You know, don't don't give up yet. George McDonald said, "I believe that God will give us ten thousand chances to repent if one of them will work." He is, yeah. Well, and see, getting back to the, the tone of the Old Testament, where, you know, it can be felt that, you know, it's a, a vengeful, horrible God, you know, or loving God. Um, I had a friend who told her daughter, not been a friend, who told her daughter that if she wasn't good, that God would pinch her. And then we have this, this uh, you know, with Abram here, that... God. Yes, it is. This is a loving God. Who's telling that? Yeah. Somebody who thinks that God will pinch them, or somebody who thinks that God will Who is waiting for a chance to zap us? Who is waiting for a chance to kill us? Waiting for a chance. That's why you don't want to pray for patience, do you? Waiting for a chance to give you trials because somehow He loves that. Like I only have one possibility to change your heart, and it's with trials. Ask me for anything. The answer is. Trial and pain, because that's how you learn. Yeah. It also makes me think how much Heavenly Father loves even His children. So you have this whole city that's wicked, but He has these precious spirit children who are going to help. And if are getting pregnant, what chance do these children have, right? So it just makes me think the same thing. Like he... That's why, again, when we think about, we go back to Enoch. And Enoch is watching God watch the destruction of. Um, the, the earth with the flood, and God is weeping. And the, you're saying, well, these are wicked people. They deserved it. They should have got on the boat. Yes, they should, but they're still my children. And, and, and it pains me that they're going to have to go through what they're going to have to go through. Yeah? <laughs> it just makes me think about, you know, when the Lord looked down and he saw people that you permitted from us, if um, those people that were there had enough power to affect a change, like if they were powerful enough to help the other people repent. And I think about that today, like this in the conference and thinking, you know, we all think, oh, we're in this really evil world. But then the brethren say, we have the most powerful generation yeah. in the church. And so it's like, okay, so what are we willing to do among, you know, the wicked of the world? Are we willing to exert our influence? Or are we just going to sit here and let the influence 
Are we going to sit? Great, great, great point, Amanda. Are we going to sit and watch as we see wicked people around us and we go, "Well, I just hope they get what they deserve." Or are we going to say, I'm going to look for that one chance to maybe exert some influence and there's a chance that the Lord changes hearts. And I'm going to pray that there's an opportunity for that. No matter how wicked they are. I, I, I'm human enough that sometimes I watch, you know, these young pop stars doing all the stuff that they do and you go, well, they're going to get theirs. Wait till they find out. Or you see terrorists doing what they're doing, you go, yeah, well, let's wait till they get to the other side. They're going to fry. Wait till they find out. <laughs> and God's on the other side saying, these are my children. I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to do stupid things, no matter how wicked they are. Now, if he can do that with someone who's this wicked, what will he do for you in your weaknesses and in your struggles and in your trials to say, Give me an opportunity to change your heart. One spot. No matter how much you think, no matter how hard your habits are or your struggles are, give me a chance. I will change your heart. I, I also think that the atonement means the most when we are We sort of get it, but now if we're going to apply it to somebody that we love that is really doing stupid. And we go, I pray that the Lord will exercise His love and change their heart and that the atonement can change their life. And, and we begin to recognize that mercy no matter how wicked they are, maybe they'll change. And only the atonement can do that. Now, how wicked were they? Well, if we look at verse, let's now pick up the story here. And there are two angels came to Sodom at even, and, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. Now, we think there are three, and that these are these are uh, these priesthood holders that have just been with Abraham. Uh, in my own mind, my own speculation, I wonder, we have some translated guys that could come do this kind of work. Recently translated people like Melchizedek and, and Enoch, I wonder. If Abraham recognized Melchizedek and Enoch, and that's why he reacted so much. And Lot also. Okay. Don't know. So they're going to show up. Now they're going to come into Sodom. Now, let, let's, let's stop for a second. Very fascinating how even geographically the Lord is going to set up the symbolism here. Okay. Melchizedek lived in the city of Salem. Okay, where was Salem? Mount Moriah. Up on the mountain. Here's the righteous thing. Now, by now it's gone. It's left. But that's where Salem was. Now, if you go down off that, down to the Dead Sea, at the south end of the Dead Sea, this is like the lowest spot on earth. We have Sodom. You're going to have Salem, S A L E M, with the Hebrew, just look at the consonants, S-L-M, and we have Sodom, S-D-M. In other words, you're going to get the contrast of the, the Salem's 
the city of righteousness, the king of peace, the translated city, and we're going to compare that with Sodom, the lowest spot on earth, the most depraved city on earth. Um, now, fascinating to me that what happened to the city of Salem? Translated. It's caught up into everlasting burnings. They're fired by the, by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Baptism of fire. What happens to Sodom? Destroyed by fire. So you're going to get the high of the mountain and righteous people, and then you're going to get the low and the depravity down here. Okay? Now, how wicked was Sodom? Uh, Mishnah gives us some information. There, there, there are hints in some of the other scriptures. Uh, but, but just a couple of instances will uh, suffice. I just don't want to get too graphic here. Uh, Book of Jasher says that there were four judges. Uh, four judges each had put a bed in four streets. And there was, when uh, strangers would come into town, they would grab these strangers and they would haul them off to the bed to do depraved things to them. One of the depraved things they do is that if they were too short for the bed, then they would stretch them to fit the bed till they die. If they were too long, they'd chop them in half to fit them on the bed. It's a bad guys. Okay. Now, one other one, and, and this is we talk about the ultimate in hypocrisy. This is awesome <laughs> on the depravity scale. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. A poor person comes into Sodom. These are good people. We think we're good. We pat ourselves on the back. We're going to give these poor people silver and gold. Now we're going to write our names on the gold and silver before we're going to give it to you. Why? Because even though we're going to give you the silver and gold, nobody's going to sell you anything. And it's a long ways anywhere else. So as they get weaker, they can't travel out of town. But nobody in the city of Sodom will sell them anything. So they're going to be standing there with silver and gold. And starve to death in the street. Because nobody will sell them food. Then what happens after they die, then the people will come out and go, Well, obviously you don't need that gold anymore. Yeah, that one was mine, that one was mine. And they will, they'll go home. And then they'll like bury him out outside of town. Yeah? Do you have any idea how large this city was or what the population was? Don't. Uh, pretty large, apparently, but, but we just don't know how big it was. Yeah? So this stuff you found out, where is that information that from? What I just read to you is from the Book of Jasher. Book of Jasher is apocryphal, but it's amazing how much of the Book of Jasher. You read it, and, and Joseph said that um, the book of Jasher, like all apocryphal things, has a lot of truth in it. And so when I read through the book of Jasher, some things don't, just don't ring true to me, and some things really ring true. You just go, wow, that makes sense. Okay? All right, so that, that's Sodom. Oh, by the way, they did one other thing, and that is that in, in, in stripping out the poor, they would also cover the fruit trees in nets so that the the poor couldn't get to even pick the fruit. And, and there's a number of cases in the Old Testament that says the biggest crime that got Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed was not homosexuality. The biggest crime was that they, was their inhospitality. Inhospi 
hospitality. They were inhospitable. They didn't take care of the poor. Okay. All right. So that's, that's Sodom. Now, why in the world would Lot choose to live in this city? It's a nice place, and we can keep ourselves unspotted. And by the way, my daughters start wearing the guise of Sodom. Anyway. Was his family there, too? That now it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of closed there. I th- and then as the city grew and grew more wicked, he also didn't leave. So sometimes if, if you're, if you're going to walk in a vineyard, you're going to get grape juice on your shoes. If you're going to spend that much time, be, that open to wickedness, eventually it kind of comes back. Well, and that see that's probably the way he's looking. If I look at the the uh, the plain of Mamre where Abraham is, that's not that hot. It's not a great. It's plenty hot. I'm going to hang out down here in the lush uh, lushness of Sodom, and we'll just work real good on making sure we have our family home meetings. Yeah, it might be why Lot. The the book of Jasher says that um, Lot was very much vexed on a daily basis by the things that he heard and saw. Might have been why he just hung out on the gates, gates of, Lot, of the city because he just didn't like being in town. Especially towards dark when he's going to watch things go on that he'd rather not see. Okay, so angels come in. Uh, Lord, I pray thee, tarry all night, wash your feet. Uh, they said, nay, we're going to abide in the street all night. Verse 2. Think they want to be in the streets all night? No. That's when, that's when the beds come out. That's when horrible things happen. And Lot's like, no, 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 no. Don't be on the streets. All right. So they entered greatly. They turned him enter and eat. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread. And they did eat. Book of Jasher says that he did it because she wouldn't. That uh, Sister Lot was not hospitable to them. In fact, she thought it was a waste. And in fact, the, the one thing that she would be willing to do while he's fixing them dinner is that they're out of salt. <laughs> True story. They're out of salt. So she goes out to get salt from the neighbors and they go, why do you need salt? And she says, because uh, we have these guys that just showed up. Really? There are new guys? That you, yes. I don't know. They just need some salt and that's how they find out that there are men staying there. Yeah. Well, I'm just a little bit in Sister Lot's favor. Yes. If I lived someplace like that and I knew what would happen to people who came into the city and my husband just brought two of them in my home with my children. Yep. You better believe I might be saying, I want them out. I yeah, I don't, I don't want them here. my own, I mean, yeah, in I, fact, book, book of Jasher says that she drew a line in the house. You guys will stay over here. I'm going to stay over here. Probably to protect me and my daughters from whatever might be about to occur. And part of it is a lack of, maybe a lack of faith in saying, I don't trust that these guys would be safe. 
I don't know if I necessarily believe who they are. Yeah. This neighborhood is just going downhill. Let's get out of here. And they're staying. Yep. That's right. Who are you going to go to school with? Okay. I was talking to a um, working with a uh, sweet little gal that uh, she's got a boyfriend that went off to school, went off to college and joined a fraternity and she thought she'd go spend the, spend the weekend kind of with him, you know, she'd be in good and you know, she'd stay in the hotel and stuff like that and she's just going to spend the weekend there, it's going to be a football game and, and she's going to be there for the fraternity party and was shocked at what was going on I can't believe he's not, yeah but he's not drinking but his friends are all drunk on their head and she couldn't believe, how come you're surrounding yourself with this stuff? And he says, well, they're, they're my friends. But look at what they're doing. Yeah, I know, it's kind of gross, but hey, what can you do? And she's walking away from that going, I had no idea that he would surround himself. And then give him time, he'll be drinking with them. And I said, well, good chance. We surround ourselves with this, that's the struggle. Now, am I scaring any moms in here yet? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You ever been to our high schools lately? gospel to do that, and I'm not willing to do that. Great point. Yeah. If we hang around 100% righteous, we don't go out to the Gentiles and do this stuff, I always want to convert. Well, and that's the, that's the battle, battle, isn't it? So so we can't completely withdraw ourselves from from the people that are out here. So trying to walk that line, how we be the leaven and the love, and look for those opportunities to teach. Or like uh, President Durant keeps saying, just find nice people. <laughs> In all of this, in all that we're going to look around, just find nice people. And when you spot nice people, warm up to them and, and teach them the gospel. They're not no nice people. They're probably not fit for the church anyway. At least not yet. Okay, so. Well, I thought about this a little bit. I've noticed this in the scriptures. That kind of what happens is first you do the missionary work. And then when people reject, 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 then you remove. Yeah. So like Lehi taught the gospel, and then when the people wouldn't listen, he had to take his family out. And so I think that is part of the balance, is we try first. We try everything we can, we do everything we can, whatever the Lord asks us to do. And then when it can't work anymore, when no one is going to listen, and Heavenly Father says, look, you're in danger, right. and you leave. Yeah, I think, good way to put it. Yeah. All right. Now. 
But isn't that kind of Jonah's attitude? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna contrast Jonah a lot when we when we get to that point. Okay, now a couple of things I want you to see on this. Uh, the men say unto Lot. Uh, who all is there in the family? Bring them out of this place. We've checked. There aren't ten righteous people here. You guys are like the only possible converts in town. Uh, Lot went out, spoke to, unto his sons-in-law, who married his daughters, and they said, "And they said, get out of this place." But listen to this line: For the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Who would they be mocking? The good people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, they're not believing Lot. And they're married to his daughters. He's going to have to leave those behind. That's going to be painful. And the grandkids. That's why I have some sympathy for Sister Lot. Grandma's standing up there and going, but, 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 but there was more than that. Yeah. What about the children that were under eight in Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, well, they're going to have their. That's true. That, if those that are under eight in Sodom and Gomorrah, they've got a free pass. They got a free pass, sort of. Yes. Okay. Now, verse fifteen. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, "Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest they be consumed in the the iniquity of the city." Fascinating, isn't it? The word isn't. The destruction of the city. Get them out of here lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Okay? Um, now, when he lingered, the men laid hold of his hand upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful under him and they brought him and set him without the city. Now, I want, I want to take just a second and, and jump ahead. If we go down, I want you to turn with me to Luke 17. Remember, now, we're, we're, we're in the New Testament. The Savior is about to answer a question, and you always have to know the question that was asked to know why he revealed what he revealed. Here's the question in Luke 17. He was demanded, verse 20, the Savior was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. When will this great kingdom you talk about actually exist on the earth? When's this going to happen? Okay? And then he's going to give them a kind of a social answer. Well, the kingdom of God is within you. Because they're not ready to listen. But to the disciples who are listening, he's going to answer their question. Verse 22. And he said unto the disciples, Ah, listen. The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. Let, let me stop. Why would they want to see the Son of Man? Why would any of us want to see the second coming? It's so wicked. We just get so tired of all of this stuff. When, oh Lord, is this going to happen? Think about the earth in, in, the, in Enoch's vision. Going, when will this stuff be removed from me? 
You're going to come, there's going to come a time talking to us as disciples. You're going to be a day when you're praying for the this kingdom to come because it's so wicked. When's that going to happen, Lord? Let us know. What's he going to say? Uh, lightning will come. Uh, Souls shall be the Son of Man this day. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things, be rejected of this generation. It's not going to happen in this generation. It's coming. But it won't happen to you guys. Now, he's going to say, he's going to give us two instances. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, till the day that Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, so, I want you to picture what's happening. Noah's ark is sitting there. He's getting the last giraffes on there. And, and what are, what's happening in the neighborhood? They're having a barbecue. And they're making plans for the wedding next week. And they're already preparing. They're, they're breaking ground for a new house. Yeah, but Noah says it's about to flood. In fact, he gathered all, he got even got the cats. They're all now on there. And you're still making plans. Yeah, I know. But it's Noah, you know. <laughs> what do you expect from Noah? He keeps doing dumb things like this. That's what's done. Okay, don't get it. Okay? So, in that day come, and they were in the middle of making plans. They were still in the matter of setting up the birthday party when it started to rain. Basically is what he said. Okay? Now, look at 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Thus it shall be in that day when the Son of Man is revealed. There are going to be people in our midst... Prophets who are going to say, get on the boat, get out of town, do it now. And we're going to say, yeah, but I'm still trying to finish my degree next week. You know, I'm still trying, I'm, you know, we're still making plans. We don't really believe it's going to be that urgent. I mean, at this point, uh, those of you who are just a little bit older, Weren't you told you're the greatest generation, the second coming could come at any moment? At any moment, the second coming is going to be here. That's been happening since like, just past Yeah, I know that my pioneer uh, ancestor uh, promised by Brigham Young that he'd get a chance to go back to the center stake in, in Zion and prepare for the second coming. And it wasn't until 1901 that he gave up that dream. 1900, died in Kept waiting. Another guy in Salt Lake used to hitch up a wagon every day, pointing towards Missouri, because today will be the day. <laughs> so this, this happened. So in Sodom and Gomorrah, there might even be people said, oh, there might be something to what Lot's saying. We're probably a little bad, but you know what? It won't happen today. I think Lot's family was kind of that way. Maybe not today. Come on, give us some time. I'm still waiting for my roses to completely bloom. And he's going to say that, and so will be in the Son of Man. Then he's going to say this. 
And even though the coming of the Son of Man is revealed, in that day in which shall be upon the house, he that shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. He that's in the field, let him not, not likewise return back. In that day, it's going to happen so suddenly that even if you're on the rooftop, don't go back and even get your stuff. You have to go now. It's like the angel taking you by the hand and saying, change, move, do it now. Don't wait. And then what's the Savior's tagline on this? Remember Lot's wife. As the example of what? Not being willing to move right away. And in fact, it says that he's in the field. Let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife. The word turns. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Really is more about turning around. It isn't like she lived an exemplary life. She was released sight of the president at the time and she made one little mistake. She went back. Yes. God, this vengeful, angry God's after. She went back. Now, I understand she's got grandkids there or maybe she doesn't believe today's the day or maybe we don't know all the circumstances, but she went back. Maybe to her, just like her son-in-law, what seems like somebody. Maybe, I would kind of like to believe my son-in-law is a little on the crazy side. She went back. When I want to know the clock didn't look back, I didn't know she could do Well, exactly. So, so it wasn't a matter that nobody, but you weren't supposed to be. The, the Mishnah comes up with some interesting ideas like the Shinehah, the glory of God destroyed the city, and she looked back and saw the face of God and shouldn't have it. Yeah? Um, one of my favorite talks was by um, Elder Holland about Remember Lot's Wife. Yes. He said that Beautiful he talk. Next what it was was that she didn't trust the Lord, that yes. he could give her something better than what he was asking her to leave behind. And I think that Lot's wife brings us closer toward to us than we realize. Scary, isn't it? You know, whether you're, you know, your husband left you or your wife left you, and then, you know, you can't understand, you know, um, he gives you something better, but you still are set in this pattern of it was supposed to be a certain way. You know, or your son doesn't go on a mission, or... In some ways, do we keep looking back? In other words, rather than go forward, when the Lord says, move, go forward, we're still hanging on to stuff of the past. Hanging on to a hope or a belief or something that somehow this is going to be... that we're supposed to leave behind. How about our sins? Leave the sin, move ahead. I want to hang on to this one. I like this one. And so we, we linger or we go back. Or get bitter. Or get bitter. We're still, what about there was somebody that I'm not going to go to church because somebody offended me. And I'm going to spend all of my life looking back at that thing rather than saying, drop it, leave it, go, move ahead, get on with things. One thing we're here. You know, yeah, we'll be faithful unless it comes to our children being at risk. Then it's like, what are you 
now I really have to dig down deep. Yes. And I, and I think, and obviously we're not getting to it today. We're going to start with it next week. And I think that's one of the reasons why what's going to be required of Abraham next is going to be so critical. It's one thing if I'm going to require some things of you. It's going to be another thing if I'm going to require that will involve your son and the loss of the possible covenant and all that. You're going to find that maybe there's a little different story there that, that President Kimball tells us. Maybe in there. But, but in, in kind of wrapping up, I, I just let, let me just say this. That one of the things that happens here... Oh, we got five minutes. Let me just finish with this. Um, Because I want you to, I want you to see this is almost like a, you know, in a movie, what will happen is, is that you're going to see a scene, and then the editors in a movie will take what's going on here, and then they, they will cut to somebody over here, and you get to see them. Then, the, then the movie goes back over here. That's editing, right? I want you to watch this edit that happens here, and, and it get, and it ties in so beautifully to the chapter before. Look at this. Um, so, verse, uh, verse 26, his wife turned back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. I think she was, I think she got into the flaming, I think that's how she died. Okay, now, here's the edit, 27. You almost picture this in the movie, like the, the music comes up and Abraham kind of comes out of his tent and he stretches and he looks, the angels went down there to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wonder how it's doing down there. And he kind of gets up, wipes the sleep from his eyes and looks out there. What does he see? Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards the land of the plain. And behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as a smoke of a furnace. Now, can you see, can you see like a Steven Spielberg close up? Uh, it goes right up to the face. <laughs> And you can see Abraham going, Oh, I hope Lot got out. And it came to pass that God destroyed the cities of the plain. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And, the overthrow. and so I would imagine there's probably a spirit saying, Lot got out. Don't ask me about his wife. <laughs> okay. Um, now, by the way, I, I do like this. There's, a, there's. A, I'll finish with this. It's a fun little side story. Um, what had happened? Um, see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. They're trying to get Lot out of the city. You got to go. Got to go. Got to go to the mountain. Get out of here. We're going to take you up to the mountain. And he's like, no, 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 not the mountain. I don't know if robbers lived up there or something. Maybe the mountain wasn't real safe. Okay? But listen to this. Verse 20. Behold, um, Lot in 18. Lot says, uh, not so, my Lord. Uh, thy servant has found grace in thy sight. Uh, I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. It's not safe. Behold, now this city is near to flee also. There's a city called Zor. So they come right out of science fiction. I want you to go to the city of Zor. Okay, so I, can we go to Zor? And he says, this city is near to flee to. It's close. And it is a little one. 
a little, really? It's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. By the way, is it not a little one? I told you it was little. <laughs> and my soul shall live. So instead of going to the mountain, they go to Zor. Because it's a little one. I think it's Lot's attempt to, if you're going to destroy all of this, we, maybe we can at least save Zor. I think that's what it is. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just a little city. We just, because after Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, Lot goes, okay, now we can go to the mountain. But he saves Zor. Great story there. I don't, we don't have this. <laughs> Other than that, it's a little city. Save this one, okay? All right, so they hang out in Zor <laughs> during, the, during the destruction. And then they go off to the mountain. Okay. You're not going to get to the daughters, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no. There, there is, no. Not getting to the daughters. Yeah. Because there's a lot there, I think, with the daughters. Part of it is their lack of faith that they wouldn't just want, they maybe think the whole world is destroyed and there's just the three of them. There's some rationalization on the part of the daughters. To say, if we sleep with dad, we're going to preserve his seed. We're taking care of him. No, we're really kind of That's why I say, there's a lack of faith on their part. That's why I can say, I think there was one righteous person in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it was wrong. So, all right. So, so let, let me just finish with this. Um, again, really intended to get, I want to make sure that we have plenty of time on one of the great moments in all of religious and the history of the world, and that is Abraham and Isaac, and what's about to occur on that now. Um, but I just want to finish with this. I believe that it's our job that when the Lord says to us, and an angel takes us by the hand and says, move and move now, that it's our job to go. Sometimes we get prompting to go do something, and we hang around and we say, but that's not what I have planned for the day. Uh, it's not the way I wanted to do it or I'm not quite sure. And he takes us by the hand and he says, move and move now. I hope that as a result of general confidence that you heard things that sparked you. And to quote Elder Irene, President Irene, if while you were listening to conference, there were times that you thought about things that you wanted to change and that you wanted to do different as a result of what you heard. And you made a silent commitment to yourself that said, I will start doing this and this differently. Do it. Do it. Whatever you felt prompted to do during conference, do it. The angel is taking you by the hand and saying, go and go now. Change, make the changes you need to make. Make the direct, move in the direction you need to go. And change. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next time is going to be Abraham and Isaac.
Have a good week.